I'm Jack Kennedy. And they hit a lot harder in my opinion too. What is up everybody? My name is Caelan McNamara and everyone's got a plan until they get hit with my views. I am Hunter Boss. He just wanted to go to the distance by the looks of it. But he couldn't even do that. And this is the MMA Island Podcast. Alright. Hello everyone and welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Keelan McNamara. It's us again. We're making it happen. Great podcast lined up. Um, before we get going with all of the MMA news in this podcast, I'm going to let Keelan take it away with some big boxing news uh, that has been linked, obviously, with a lot of MMA pages um, and, and stuff. So we're going to cover it because it's a big thing in combat sports, and Keelan knows all about it, and he'll get us updated on it. You're too kind, Jack. Welcome <laughs> back, ladies and gentlemen. It's fantastic to have you all back once again. Uh, as Jack said, I'm just very, very briefly introducing this because we've had a couple of major pieces of breaking news in the world of boxing so let's get straight into it before we get into the main course. First of all, the legendary Manny Pacquiao is returning August 21st to fight Earl Spence Jr. for the unified welterweight titles of the world. Huge fight. Of course, legendary Manny Pacquiao, he only fights the best of the best, and he's only beaten the best of the best. Um, For those who don't know boxing, Manny Pacquiao is currently the WBA's welterweight champion, and he's going up against Texas's Earl Spence Jr. for the WBC and the IBF belts in Las Vegas, Nevada on August 21st. Do not miss that fight. It will be massive. It's a fantastic fight for boxing, and it's a fantastic fight in an amazing weight division right now. If people don't know boxing or if you're confused about boxing or you're looking to get into boxing, watch this fight it's going to be epic and unfortunately with such fantastic news i am the pair of slightly less good news one of the biggest heavyweight fights of all time that we thought was happening between tyson fury and anthony joshua is now not happening um for those who don't know you will remember tyson fury knocked deontay wilder on his ass in las vegas and won the wbc heavyweight championship Fantastic fight, one-sided demolition performance. But Deontay Wilder has gone to a tribunal over the details of their contract, and he has won the dispute. Basically, what this means is he now has to have a third fight, a rematch for his belt that he lost. And if anybody's... I I imagine everybody's keeping up to date with us in the combat sports world because it is such a huge story. But for those who don't, um, I actually have a recommendation for you. Go to IFL TV, shout out Coogan, and look for Eddie Hearn's most recent interview on this. It is fascinating. And I'm on Eddie Hearn's side on this as well, just as a disclaimer, because it, it kind of shows the worst of boxing politics and why big fights don't get made anymore and why boxing is seeping support. So go watch that fight or go watch that interview. Unfortunately, the fight isn't happening in July or sorry, August as it was meant to be. And yeah, I just have to report that to you. We now have Tyson Wilder three and it looks like Anthony Joshua is going to have to face Alexander Usyk as a mandatory for his WBO belt. So hopefully we get this fight in the future, but just to keep everybody up to date, that is what has been happening in the world of boxing. Now back to Mr. Jack and back to the main stuff. Yeah. Hey, well, real quick though, I have, I have a couple questions. Who do you think wins the trilogy fight? And um, do you think the AJ versus Fury fight will happen in the future? 
Very interesting questions, Jack, and I'm glad you asked them because I'm sure that's what all of our fans are wondering right now. To answer your first question, I think Tyson will win the trilogy. Personally, the trilogy makes no sense to me, especially after such a one-sided pounding in the second fight. You know, Deontay Wilder hits like nothing else, but he can't box and he absolutely cannot box to the level and degree Tyson Fury boxes. Even if Tyson sat out of boxing for a decade and Wilder spent every day training for a decade, he still wouldn't be as good of a boxer. Tyson's just that good. So I see the second fight being an exact replica in the third fight in that performance. And as to your second question, do I think the trilogy will happen? It's been signed off once, so I want to believe it will happen again. My only concern with this fight now is that Eddie Hearn is justifiably so irritated with Bob Arum and top-ranked boxing that he might not be willing to put the effort into, into getting it over the line this time. Because boxing is not like mixed martial arts and it's running. Boxing is very old school. It's extremely political. You've got to go through sanctioning bodies, uh, athletic commissions, and all this kind of nonsense. So he can certainly do it again. He's proven he can do it once. But I wouldn't actually be mad at Eddie Hearn for not trying because he's already done a Herculean effort once and he was having to drag Tyson's management side along the first time. And if they're just dragging their feet the second time, he might not try it. But I hope he does because it's too important of a fight not to happen. So to give a very short answer to such a good question, I think and I hope it will happen. Yes. Awesome. Well, that's what we all want to see. Um, and on to the MMA news now. So we had a, let's say, interesting fight night um, this past Saturday, starting with the co-main event and Yan Chaonan versus Carla Esparza. A bit of a surprising result. Carla Esparza dominated Yan Chaonan, getting the TKO victory. Keelan, what did you make of this fight? Dude, very surprising result. Um, I don't think anyone saw this coming. I know for sure. I'm going to admit I did not see this yeah. coming at all. I didn't even necessarily think Carla Sparza would win. So to get a second round knockout over her opponent was so, so impressive. She is an unbelievably tough fighter. You know, obviously these Chinese fighters just fight so well and they're so durable and they're so tough. So for Carla Esparza to overcome that is a massive testament to her and to the incremental improvements she's made in her game over the last few years. I mean, if there was any way I could have seen Carla win in this fight, it would have been on the ground. But to knock Gia out the way she did, it was fantastic and it was so, so impressive. So big, big congratulations to Carla Esparza and she has made a big statement with this performance because I felt this fight was flying under the radar as well. You know, Carla Esparza in some circles doesn't quite get the respect she deserves and I do feel she was being overlooked to an extent. So to not only win, but win the way she did, she has put a big statement on her place in the strawweight division. Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, just think about how Carla Esparza became the champ, the first ever strawweight champ in UFC's history off a win over Rose Namajunas, uh, funny enough, which that could be the very next fight booked based uh, off of this fight. Um, and But after that, she lost to Joanna, and we all know the dominant champion Joanna has been in that division. She reigned queen for the longest time. 
Um, so there's no shame in that loss. But Carla Esparza really was never the same since that fight. She, she was up and down. Now, she would win occasionally, but especially late in her career, she was losing a bunch and was really close, in my opinion, to being released from the UFC or at least traded or something um, yeah. in today's MMA world. Um, but credit to her. I didn't think she could do it. She has legitimately turned her career around seemingly out of nowhere because of everything that she had been going through. Her name was way under the radar. Even now it's under the radar. Um, Yan Chanan is one of the most exciting contenders, especially since she's out of the, 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 she's out of China, uh, just like um, the former champion now in this division and, and the promise that she was showing just completely really dominating all of her opponents, top level opponents, rising the ranks very quickly, making a name for herself. I thought it was going to be light work for her. Uh, I, I really didn't. Carla Esparza has been flying under the radar. Um, she, she, she's really been beating some, some good opponents, and not many people have been paying attention to it because of her history in this division. There's no way someone that's become champion and then just had a, you know an off-and-on career from that all of a sudden catches a second win and, and does that. We very rarely see that happen, but she's doing it. And, and with this win – um, she probably has secured a title shot unless they give it to Zhang Wei Li again. Um, but but you really you really don't know. But honestly, she has a very good case for getting a title shot. She already holds a win over Rose Namajunas. Nope, even though it's a different time, she has that victory over her. So it's a big, intriguing fight in the rematch. Um, and her style is what makes it so interesting as well because she has elite wrestling, and and she displayed that. Um, I think Jan didn't really fully. I, I don't want to say underestimate, but I don't think she fully prepared for all that Car Carla Esparza was going to be offering um, uh, that night. She just rushed in, and I think she was going to catch her. Uh, that's what she had in her mind. And whenever she rushed in, Carla took her down and got a 10-8 round one. I think most people would agree on that, which is pure domination. Then round two was the same thing, the crucifix and elbows. And it's just, oh, my. Dominant performance from Carla Esparza. So impressive. And um, – it, it, she has a really good case for at least maybe maybe if she fights Amy Lee in the, ne the next fight or getting the next title shot, she has a great case for it. So congratulations, Carla. Yeah, dude, I fully agree. And I actually think you've summed that up perfectly there. Um, I think Gia thought um, that it would be an easy fight to a degree. I think it was one of those fights where she thought it would be a big name who was past their prime and she yep. could just bum yep. rush in and get an early win. Um, and of course, she was very, very wrong. And I'm not going to lie. I could understand why that would be her approach. Because as we've seen in the last roughly three, maybe three and a half years or so, Carla Esparza has been on that run where she would win one, lose one, win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, not really getting any grinding or any inconsistency. But people forget she's on a five fight win streak now. You know, she's silently been building that momentum up. And I almost think having the spotlight off of her in the strawweight division has helped her very, very much because she doesn't have that. Obviously, as you said, she was the first ever strawweight champion. She doesn't have that pressure now. She doesn't have all the eyes staring on her, like creating this glaring attention where she's perhaps losing focus. She's on a five-fight win streak now, and she's knocked out the most promising prospect at 115. And I think this raises a really, really interesting question that you've partially answered, and I do agree with your answer. It raises the question of whether Carla's next for the title shot. And initially, I was quite dismissive until I actually looked at all the facts, and now I'm much more evenly in whether she yeah. gets it or not. 
one fight I'd love to see, and it's the fight you've actually already mentioned, is Wei Li Zhang against Carla Sparza. I think that is the perfect number one contender match to see who gets Rose next. If it's Wei Li, then we know. But if it's Carla, what a career comeback this is. And people aren't giving her enough credit for that. To even be at this point alone is such an impressive resurgence when, as you very accurately said, she was perhaps a loss away from being cut. So no matter what happens from now on in, Carla Esparza in many ways has won. Yeah, it's super impressive performance. And uh, the, the last thing I kind of wanted to, to mention, too, is why I think I completely agree with you in that Wei Lee versus Esparza fight is that you, you will always want to give a title rematch to a champion that seemed as dominant as Zane, Zane Wei Lee was. But she wasn't the champion for really that long. Um, and, and, and they gave an automatic rematch to Joanna. Um, but I mean, she was the champion for the longest time. And, and that, that was such a shocking result from Rose Namajunas. Wei Li hasn't really been there that long. She had some great performances, but not that long. And the way she lost, it wasn't like it was a close fight. It was a one head kick, just knockout. So I think she does need one more fight. If, if Carla Esparza didn't exist right now, if she was not winning, then yeah, you give her the automatic rematch. But because Carla Esparza did this, I think you do that fight, just like you said, title eliminator, and um, you see who fights for the belt. I, that also gives Rose Namajunas the time for, to prepare, and um, it just adds more excitement to the division as well. So I agree with you there. I think that's a very interesting fight. Um, all right, on to our main event. Uh, and a very fascinating result. We got to see Rob Font just put on a masterclass. Cody Garbrandt struggles, did not get finished, though. Credit to him. Keelan, what do you make of the main event? Man, I I told y'all, Rob Font's hype is real. I am on the Rob Font train. I am on the whatever mode of transport the New England cartel <laughs> use because I am on the hype. Um, you know, it's very interesting. In our last episode, when, he did, when we did our bantamweight rankings, I think we both had Rob Font at number four. We did. And, and this is why I had him at number four. The kid is just so talented. He is raw, athletically gifted. He punches so hard, so quick. His wrestling is very, very good. He is all around an amazing fighter. And to put on such a fantastic five-round performance over Cody Garbrandt, no less, has just shot Rob Font's stock up to the nth degree. This is the performance he needed, and he delivered in spades. Um, you know, I think two judges had a 50-45 for Rob, and then one had it... Um, whatever the other score was, but there were two 50-45s. And just like we'd never seen anyone dominate Dominic Cruz the way Cody Garbrandt did to him, we've never seen Cody Garbrandt lose this way to someone else. So I think this fight has far bigger implications than people are given a credit for on the whole. And I do actually want to give a lot of credit to Cody Garbrandt as well, because, you know, it's not just that I'm a Cody Garbrandt fan, which I am. But, you know, coming off such a big win against Rafael Asuncao, he's coming off a very big spiral, the first major spiral of his professional career with the TJ business and so on and so forth. And to go in after a prolonged period of absence against a young, hungry killer in Rob Font, I think he deserves a lot of credit for. And he did have his moments too. I think it was... I think it might have been the first or second round. He had a couple of very good combinations that definitely landed on Rob Font very solidly, and he felt them. 
but Font just responded better than I ever thought he would. I thought Rob would rush in and he'd get finished, and he didn't. He he did rush in, but he almost looked composed in a weird kind of way. He just pieced it all together so well. And Rob Font's really solidified his top four place now. I know he called for the winner of Sanhagen Dillashaw, and that prospect might be a lot more real than people thought it was before. So Rob Font, you are playing the game very, very well, my friend, and congratulations on a fantastic performance. Yeah, absolutely. You summed it up perfectly. It was just amazing. I thought that Rob Font was going to go in there, and and he is a big boxer. He's a, he's a big user of his hands mostly in the fight. And I thought Cody Garbrandt was going to catch him, but what he did was enormous. It was amazing. He used his enormous reach in the fight to his advantage. And it really put Cody Garbrandt for a loop because Cody was trying to escape it. But anytime you try to escape, the jab was right there. The jab was so perfectly placed, timed, everything there. And that was just such a good weapon for him to hide that right hand that caught Cody a couple times. Um, like you said, credit to Cody Garbrandt. He did not get finished. He looked very composed. There was an exchange in there where I thought he was just going to stand and bang and, and throw hooks, but he didn't. He backed out and he went going. Dare I say this, and I might get backlash for this, but I think Cody Garbrandt could have won this fight. Not okay. I'm not saying I'm not saying on the judges' scorecards. Like he definitely lost. I probably even had it 40, 50, 45. What, what I'm saying is, in the late fourth, early fifth round. When Cody Garbrandt would start to let his hands go, he would back Rob Font up every single time. And Rob Font backing up can't put anything forward. It's really much like Cody Garbrandt backing up. And that was the problem with Cody. He moves his head very well when he's standing still, but Rob Font using the jab is able to back him up. And whenever he's backing up, he doesn't circle that well. You always have to circle to move it, move out, especially in the UFC, especially at the pace that they're going. Cody was backing straight up, and that is very dangerous against anybody but especially a guy like Rob Font and that was a big problem once Cody started to let his hands go and was like okay I'm not afraid to get hit I'm gonna do it um he did have a lot of success in backing Rob Font up and the the power that Cody Garbrandt has is more than Rob Font has and 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 it showed for the couple punches that he did land if Cody was able to land more combinations and just be more active in there and just try and get over his chin being rocked I think that was a lot of big fear of his is being finished um and his defense was good for the most part, but he needs to let his hands go. And it's difficult against a guy like Rob Font, but whenever he did do it, he had a lot of success. Um, not to take anything away from Rob Font, though. I mean, just what a performance. He went out there and did what had to be done. Um, just fought really the perfect fight, he, the perfect game plan. That he, made, he made what very few people, if anyone has been able to do before, I don't think I can say anyone's done this, but he made Cody's speed factor really just not a factor at all by the volume and pressure that he was putting on him. Cody wasn't able to handle it, and, and Rob Font was able to take over the fight and, and just win. I thought he was going to finish Cody in like the second and third round because he was really pouring it on. Credit to Cody for staying in there, but Rob Font, what a contender, um, and he's definitely going to be up there. And the last thing I kind of want to say is something that you said, which is a very good point. Um, he called for the winner of Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, and I'm like, okay, well, the winner of that's probably going to fight for the title. But then I realized what's going on with the title right now. We have Aljamain Sterling out. We have Peter Jan waiting. Peter Jan will get the next title shot. So the the potential of Sanhagen winning yet another fight and then having to face yet another top contender is actually very likely. 
And same thing with even if TJ Dillashaw wins, but I let's just say Sanhagen for the sake of saying it, because we've already argued Sanhagen should even have to take the Dillashaw fight. He might potentially have to take Dillashaw, then Rob Font, and then fight for the title. And then you're running into a situation with the UFC had with Max Holloway when he became the champ because he he didn't get the title shot for the longest time and cleaned out the division pretty much before he became champion. And it's like, what do we do now? So this is where we're at. It's a fascinating division. And the holdup at the top is really going to affect things for all of the contenders below it. Um, and we're looking at some really good potential matchups. And Rob Font just threw his name right in there and is one of the best contenders at 135 right now. Oh, man, what? I have never seen a division this chaotic oh, in my life. <laughs> 135 is giving me a headache just thinking about it. We, we need a Royal Rumble to sort this out. That's oh. what we need. Over the top rope, I, over the <laughs> octagon. Let's do that. Uh, but yeah, I actually think you raised a fantastic point. And I'm going to build on that because I actually agree with you. And I think Cody Garbrandt could have won the fight. Again, was never going to be in the scorecards. I had it 50-45 yeah. as well. So I'm just in case anybody wants to criticize me for that. That's not what we're saying. But... Cody Garbrandt has thrived so much in unpredictability and he's thrived in his ability to go into the scramble and into the stand-up and just throw hands when he needs to because he knows he's more powerful than his opponent and he's always had faith in his chin. I'm almost concerned for Cody that he's suffering a reverse Uriah Hall and that he's almost too psychologically affected by the Pedro Munoz loss and the Dillashaw losses. And now he's standing in front of his opponent thinking, is my chin going to hold up? Can I afford to go into these exchanges anymore? Because you're absolutely right. When Garbrandt got his boxing going and when he was confident enough to get into his own rhythm, Font was backing up and the exchanges were there to be had. And of course, had he have engaged them, we could be talking about a completely different story, but I'm not disrespecting Rob Font, an incredible performance in his own right. But you have to wonder, because that's one of Garbrandt's greatest weapons, his boxing and his ability to get into the stand-up and get into that the crazy rock and sock and brawl. That is his trademark. But I think you raise another really interesting point, and it's a problem a lot of bantamweights are going to have with Rob Font. That range, especially yeah. the jabbing range. Cody Garbrandt is, is used to fighting guys with very similar range or even having an advantage in the range. He's not used to thinking he's in safe distance and still stuffing the job and getting his head snapped back. Realistically, that's why he was as bloodied as he was, I think. It was mostly eating jabs, thinking he was in safe range and only really adapting to that by the fifth round, beginning of the fifth. The damage was mostly done before then. But... I really hope Cody's not psychologically traumatized in a way by what's happened in his three losses, because I still think he is one of the ch toughest chins at 135. He just started, he, he's just been standing and trading wildly when he could have been defending and he could have won the Pedro Munoz fight, but I hope he's not affected by this as badly as I think he might be because he's still one of the top five 135ers in my mind. Um, as for, and I think you introduced another very interesting dynamic that needs mentioned, Corey Sandhagen. Like I, I said this a couple of months ago now, I think, and it still feels appropriate to bring it up. 
Corey Sanhagen reminds me of Dillian White in boxing because he is going to be made to fight again and again and again and again before he gets his title shot. And you just know if he loses one of them, he's out of the picture for a year or two, which I don't want to see happen because he doesn't deserve that to happen to him. But then you make another fantastic point, Jack, and Max Holloway is the perfect comparison. It's all well and good feeding these guys to the top contender, but by the time he gets his title shot, there's no one left to run through because he spent all this time yep. running through them to get to the title. So Sean Shelby and Dana White have got to be very careful about how they play this because you can feed all the 135ers to Corey Sanhagen that you want. If he beats them all, you're not going to leave him a division to rule over because he's, he's got ill of W's over all of them eventually come one way or the other. So 135 is in a very interesting dynamic right now. I think we can both very much agree on that. Rob Font has added another interesting dynamic to it. I still think Cody will be in the top echelons. I think he needs to go back, work on his psychology. I don't think it's anything wrong with him physical. And one thing I do just want to add before I finish up on Cody, you know, Cody suffered very, very badly with COVID as well as we know. Now, that was the reason given for him not fighting Davidson Figueredo for the 125 title. So it is going to take him time to reacclimatize to fighting the top guys at 135. I'd like to see Cody get that time, put in more really good performances like the Asuncao performance, and he will be back. All these people saying that he's done and he's finished don't know what they're talking about because Cody Garbrandt's one of the top guys, and Rob Font is edging to within striking distance of a title shot as well. So, as always, there's never a dull day in the bantamweight division, as we say. And There's so many different dynamics going on, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah. I mean, you, you summarized that perfectly. The last thing I was, I was kind of thinking is what, what do you think of when you think of Cody Garbrandt's style and what he brings? It's that he takes the center of the octagon. He's the one going forward. He's the one setting the pace. He wasn't doing that um, um, Saturday night. He was taking the pace from Rob Font and trying to adapt to it. And you nailed it. It is 100% because of the chin. You could tell him he was fighting defensively the entire time. And he wasn't even fighting that well defensively, if I'm going to be honest, whenever he was backing up. But he took some of the best shots, shots that Rob Font had and was still standing. He, he recovered very well. He needs to go back and watch that and be like, OK, I, I had some great offensive moments. They were small and, and minimum, but I had some good offensive moments and I took his best shots. And we all know how dangerous Rob Font is and how many people he's finished and how he can finish people. So Cody Garbrandt needs to look at that and be like, OK, I need to just put it all on the line, all on the line. If I'm going to be the best of the best at 135, I need to accept that. Yes. My chin has been tested before, but I can recover from this and I need, I need to just get back to my style. I need to just forget about the chin. I need to just go for it because you know what, if you get knocked out, you get knocked out. All right. It's another day, but I would hate to see what's happened to so many fighters. The one that comes to mind right now is Tyron Woodley, where you get so hesitant and so afraid of one thing where you just don't have any offense going forward and you just shut down as a fighter and you, you can't offer anything at that point. I think Cody Garbrandt still has all the potential. He's so young. He can absolutely come back. And um, I think he showed that in, in bursts Saturday night. It was a big fight. It was a big opponent for him. But if he just looks at it objectively and just says, all right, ignore the chin. Let's just go for it. I think, honestly, a calm Cody Garbrandt could rise the ranks um, and, and be very interesting and also, what you mentioned about Font's jab, I, I just I love it so much because my biggest thing 
every time I'm watching a fight, every time I'm thinking, it's just the jab is the most effective thing in striking. It just, it sets everything up and it's just an annoying thing in your face. And just GSP comes to mind anytime I think of the jab and just what he's been able to do. He, he messes the guy's face up so bad because if you jab right to the nose, you'll break the nose and you'll cause blood. And it's just that little annoyance. A jab r- very rarely will knock a person out. Uh, although we've seen it recently with Kamara Usman, Robbie Lawler, uh, yeah, Robbie Lawler. Well, that was just accumulation, though. I know I mean, that was just that was, apocalypse. I want to, I want to put that one to the side because Robbie Lawler is just an anomaly with all that. <laughs> but um, the the jab is so good, and it's not just for the, being that annoyance for racking up the damage. It's for finding your range, hiding shots. Anything in striking can be set up behind the jab. It's just like a little leg kick and everything. You can't just land a big overhand right out of nowhere. You can't just land a big head kick out of nowhere. You have to set it up. And a great way to do that is to use your jab and use it effectively. And I love it when I do see fighters do it. Max Holloway's done it very, very well. I rewatched that Calvin Cater performance after the Rob Font one just because I was like, oh, I have to see uh, just another dominant one after that. And and Max Holloway, that comes to mind. Um, Rob Font did that. And it's such an effective weapon. And he could be very dangerous at the top of 135. So transitioning, we had another big announcement on the card. Paul Felder, who was commentating, announced his official retirement from the sport. Uh, they had a whole montage ready and everything for it. Um, so what do you make of Paul Felder's retirement? I must admit, I really hoped it would be a Wolf of Wall Street moment where he said, I'm not effing leaving. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. Paul Felder has been an enormous credit to the sport. From the second he came in, he's he's really fought everybody they've put in front of him. I can scarcely remember a fight where Felder refused to fight or pulled out without good reason or anything like that. He's a true class act. He always was. He always will be. And I'm really, really happy for him because he's an amazing commentator as well. He's a fantastic media presence. You know, he's one of the most intelligent, knowledgeable yeah. fighters I've ever seen. His chemistry with Brendan Fitzgerald and Michael Bisping is so good to watch as well, because not only is the analysis so intelligent and coherent, but you can tell it flows so well with the other. You know, if if Felder's making a point about a leg kick, Bisping will make a point about the jab, and Fitzgerald will tell you the dynamic of the fight as it's happening. They just work so well as a team, as a unit. And I really think that's the perfect transition of Felder from the octagon to right beside the octagon. And he's a fantastic ambassador for the sport as well. You know, great personality, great sense of humor, gets on with everybody in the UFC from what we know. And I just think I'm so happy he's made this transition so well. You know, it was obviously in the back of his mind that he didn't want to continue. And I, I actually respect him more for that, for knowing when to walk away. And I respect, I think one of the things I respect the most about Paul Felder is that he didn't make any excuses. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He just said, look, guys, I always promised that if I didn't feel the motivation anymore, I'd walk away and I would not hold up the division anymore. And that's what we said in our group chat, you know, massive respect for not holding up the division either and taking up a top 10 spot that another fighter could have. He knew when it was time to walk away, he walked away and he walks away with his head held high and he immediately transitions into the perfect position for him, which is as a media ambassador and representative of the UFC. I can think of very few fighters who are more suited for that role. So 
a massive, massive thank you to the Irish Dragon. He gave everything in the octagon and, you know, just a credit to the sport. So thank you, Paul Fowler. Yeah, that's perfectly said. I mean, he he has just had such a fun career and he's such a fun guy to follow. It's a, He's one of the people that you just can't root against. You have to like Paul Felder. Everything he does for the sport, the ultimate company man, as I would say. Um, he That fight with Dan Hooker, which I do believe he actually won that fight if it hadn't so been I. in New Zealand. Um, it, was, it was an amazing fight. One, one of the best fights of that year for sure. And after that, he had a, a brief retirement moment, but he seemed very sincere about it um and and everything and i did believe him because there's no reason really for him to keep fighting he's he's older in age um now i'm not saying he's not one of the best in the world at 155 look at his rank look at the fights he does no one ever dominates paul felder he's always in a fight um but it's just you you're so well spoken and and so um the chemistry is amazing everything about you as a broadcaster you've done pay-per-views before he did the connor pay-per-view with with dustin and that was very enjoyable his chemistry with everyone works and um he is just one of the best commentators in the game one of the most enjoyable personalities um they're different they're two different styles completely but i just compare the likability to the he's kind of the next version of brian stan i would say in the commentary perfect and, and they're not they're not the same at all but i'm just saying the likability thing because just like people like Daniel Cormier for, for what he's done for the sport. Those are two guys that have paid their dues for the sport, just like Paul Felder has. And people respect that. And whenever you're so knowledgeable and intelligent about the sport, people will listen to it. And so I'm happy for him. He can just enjoy life, start eating all the buffets at all the hotels <laughs> and everything, just like everybody else is and just have a great time. So I'm so happy for him. Um, and honestly, despite him losing to RDA, I think that is the perfect fight for Paul Felder to go out on because he just proved that's the legacy of Paul Felder stepping in on what it was six days notice, cutting down to 155, making the weight when everybody misses weight and has an excuse or something. I'm like, look at what Paul Felder just did. And then after the fight, three days after the fight, he's doing contender series broadcasts for the UFC. That is the ultimate, just week timeline. I nine days timeline. I think I've ever seen in, in, in the UFC's history for, for one particular guy. So I think even though that'll go down as this last fight, it'll be a loss there was no real way he was going to win that final six days and it was making that crazy of a, of a weight cut but he did it and he put on a show and he was there fighting didn't get finished um just the ultimate respect to paul felder legendary career and i am looking forward to continuing listening to him as a ufc broadcaster man no question perfect points i think you actually sum it up amazingly and i fully agree with all of it and uh, there's just two more points i'd like to make about paul felder you know just as to why we appreciate him the way we do and how good he is the first is people actually forget when habib Nurmagomedov fought ally quinta at ufc 209 it was felder that put his hand up first to fight habib you know, when no one else wanted that fight in short notice, guess who put their hand up? Paul Felder did. He said, I'll fight the most dominant lightweight there's ever been. Now, the New York State Athletic Commission wouldn't sanction it because Felder was ranked too low, but no one else would put their hand up as legitimately with the chances Paul Felder did. You know, just a, the consummate professional and you know, he will forever be respected for that. And as well as that, the RDA example is perfect. But people forget about the Khabib one. So I just want people to remember that. And the second is in relation to his humor and his media relation. There's that famous screenshot of him on Twitter with the guy saying, 
Paul, you need to know when the hang oh of the gloves. God, yes. What what does Paul Felder <laughs> might say? Would you say that to my face? No, because you'd probably kick my ass far enough. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> that is the kind of man I want representing my company. You know, he, he doesn't go out and swear at someone, he doesn't go out and insult them. It's all in good humor. He says fair enough. And he's just such a great personality. You know, I'm immensely grateful for everything he gave in the Octagon, but I'm also so happy because he's directly continuing his work and he's benefiting the company in such a such an excellently different way too. So not only is he freeing up the lightweight division, but he's another fantastic personality calling the fights. And this is what we love to see. So once more, thank you so much, Paul Felder. And he had a feud with Conor McGregor that got resolved. I mean, that's the ultimate career right there. He had, it came full circle. He had everything. Danke schön, Conor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So perfect career. I mean, that, there we go, Paul Felder. So overall, again, thank you so much. And let's transition to some fan questions now. Thank you very much for these. Let's start off with Michael. And he asks, how would a potential Cody Garbrandt versus Frankie Edgar fight look in the Bantamweight division right now? I think it would be a very good fight stylistically. Um, where are they in the rankings again? I think they're four or five places apart from I what think, I recall. I could be wrong. I think Edgar is around seven or eight. But yeah, Starbrand's like four, five-ish now, maybe. But so it's not, it's not impossible at all. I think it would be, to answer Michael's question, thank you for the question, by the way, Michael, I think it would be a very good fight, but I think it's a fight Garbrandt would win. And I think he'd win because Edgar would obviously try and take this to the ground, but Garbrandt is famously good in the scramble as well. I think Edgar would have a very, very tough time taking down such a powerful 135-er. And especially if Cody can get his head right, I think he'd knock Edgar out with the first decent punch he landed. And again, that's no slight in Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar is a Hall of Fame legend in his own right. But the amount of damage he's taken in his last few fights is just ungodly. You know, not to mention that Corey Sanhagen knee straight to the head. You know, that that does much more lasting damage to you, no matter how heavy you are or no matter how tough you are. I think it would be a far better fight than people would think it would be. But I think Cody Garbrandt would ultimately win that fight. But thank you for the question. It's an excellent fantasy matchup for sure. And it could be a good fight for Cody to get his rhythm back, actually. It could be a realistic choice. Yeah, so uh, I just checked. And the rankings aren't officially updated, I don't believe yet. But uh, Cody is four, Edgar is seven. So I was one off. Just just out of nowhere, I was one off. I'll, I'll take that. No one's going to hate you for that, Jack. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think I think um, Frank Yeager is still a tough fight for anyone. He is His style is so good. Obviously, that Pedro Munoz win is so impressive. And you guys all know how high I am on Pedro Munoz based off the last podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was very impressive from Frank Yeager, the takedowns and everything. One of the most well-rounded guys in the UFC's history, truly. Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame career, absolutely. Um, one of the best. You, you, when I, when you talk about guys who can't write the UFC's history without Frank Yeager is absolutely a name that comes to mind. Oh, unquestionably. Um, and, and just challenging. I don't. He never became the the. He 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 became a champion. He never did it in two 
weight divisions, but he tried multiple times and he's fought in three weight divisions now, which is so impressive. And he's looked good in all three of them as well. Even at his age and even after all the wars, he was fighting a top contender in Corey Sandhagen. And say what you will about that knockout. He was up there with the best. So credit to Frankie Edgar and he has earned his spot in this ranking. That being said, I do agree with you. I think Cody Garbrandt's next fight, I don't think he's going to fight immediately considering the, the amount of damage and, and just the mental aspect of it all. I think his next fight, he's going to be super motivated. I think he's going to be ready to go. Um, sort of the things we talked about, I think he's going to be ready to let his hands go, ready to eat a shot. And I think a fight against Frankie Edgar would just, just be the perfect thing to do that. Again, all credit to Frankie Edgar, but when you have a career like his, his chin is just, it's, it's not going to be what it was. He can't take that shot. And when you have a guy that hits as hard as Cody Garbrandt, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to go down. So I think Cody Garbrandt, I think he's going to be ready to go for his next fight. And if his next fight is against Frank Yeager, which realistically is actually not even that, that impossible. I think this might actually be a good matchup. Um, I think Cody takes it um, and, and, and starts to turn his career back around. Um, but yeah, good question. And I do agree with you, Caitlin. I think it could be a very competitive fight, but I just, I like, I, Cody has so much potential. And is, is, as far as Chen goes, I think Frankie Edgar wouldn't be able to take the just power and speed that Cody Garbrandt offers. Yeah, I have to agree with you. You know, again, everybody knows how much I love Frankie Edgar, how much all three of us love Frankie Edgar. But, you know, he is very much coming towards the end now. And that's no shame. It's actually a massive credit to his longevity oh, yeah. and the legends that he's fought over his, you know, over his extensive time in the UFC. The only thing that and it's not even more disagreement it's just a point of interest i actually think we're going to see cody sooner rather than later because of that very motivation i think i actually hope this is the fight that sort of kind of slaps cody across the face and yeah. it makes him realize you're still the old cody garbrandt it's still in there all he's got to do is let his hands go and we have the cody garbrandt that we had before I mean, no one can blame him for being in this state, given what he's been through. You know, again, we've covered it so often, but he went out trying to prove a point. It didn't end up well. But I think if Cody lets his hands go and he gets on that run again, we will absolutely see the old Cody Garbrandt. And I actually think this fight could be a much more realistic opportunity than I thought it was at the beginning of this question. So thank you, Michael. You may have predicted Cody Garbrandt's next fight. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually in favor of this fight. I think this would be a perfect uh, matchup, honestly. Yeah, Look at so, Dana. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Um, and now moving on to our next fan question. A very good friend of the podcast has asked many questions before. Evandro, thank you so much for asking another one. And this is a really good one. Best for last. If Zabit Malgomed Shripov was to return to the UFC, hopefully he does, um, and get back in the rankings, how would he match up against a Shane Burgos or Edson Barbosa um, in, in a, a UFC fight? First of all, Evandro, my brother, thank you as always for the amazing questions. We appreciate the supply and the insight. Dear mother of God, what a fight this would be. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting excited just thinking about the prospect of this. You know, Zabit, one of the many things that I like about Zabit Magomed Sharipov is that he is massive for the 145 division. He's, he's so tall, he's so long, he's so lanky, and he threw such good leg kicks enter Edson Barbosa, uh, yeah. the battle of the leg check or the leg kick check 
what a war that would be. You know, Ed, this is the best Edson Barbosa I've ever seen at 145. He landed four or five leg kicks in 20 seconds against Shane Burgos. Imagine doing that against the beat Magomed Sharipov. I think Magomed Sharipov is a better boxer. I think he's got a lot of range and he uses that excellently. Um, I certainly think he's a better boxer than Barbosa, but Barbosa's got those kicks. Those That kickboxing is just such a strong X factor for Edson Barbosa yeah. because he can throw it from anywhere. And the reason that would be a problem for Zabit is because Zabit's very tall, He, I actually think he's nearly somewhere around six feet for some reason. I'm pretty sure he is that tall. Yeah. Edson, can you imagine the body kicks like against Dan Hooker? Those kicks are perfect for a tall, lanky opponent. And Barbosa will literally kick your kidneys out of your body and back again because they will rip Magomed Sharipov to pieces if he's able to land yeah. them. Real quick, he's 6'1". He is 6'1"? Is yeah. For 145? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm done. I'm sorry. That, I got those him. body shots would definitely oh, be open. Dear Lord. Oh, that would be a fight of the year. It just would. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I want to see that fight happen now. Thank you, Evandro. You've made me want to see a fight that's probably not going to happen. I call Barbosa <laughs> Burgos. You call Zabit Barbosa. Both both Barbosa fight of the year fights. Okay, technically it's happened. I'll, I'll, I'll accept <laughs> that. But in relation to the boxing aspect, that's where Burgos would be a perfect opponent. You know, that would be boxing against boxing, job against job. And I actually don't think Shane Burgos is getting enough credit for how good he was against Edson. When Barbosa was landing those vicious leg kicks, you know, Burgos's job was working very well. We literally spent about five minutes earlier talking about how important the job is. Burgos is one of the best fundamental skill sets in the featherweight division. He can land that job against the beat. And one of Zabit's weaknesses, sometimes it's a positive, but sometimes he can play into the hands of his opponents, is that he likes to rush in. He likes to rush in with that whirlwind attack. Burgos could catch him very, very easily. Burgos's timing is very good and it's very smooth and he could hurt Zabit on the rush in, crack him on the chin, and it's a different fight. But both those potential fights would be fight of the year contenders. I am 1000% convinced of that. I think that I think the Barbosa fight, especially, would be one of the greatest fights we'd ever see at 145. That's how that's how good I think that fight would be. Yeah, uh, again, amazing question. Um, and and this is such a fascinating thing. I hate talking about these fights because I want them so bad. We just talked about one a couple in the last podcast and the podcast before that. And it's just like, why why don't we get the fight right now? This should be booked. What, what's going on? Zabit needs to get back to the UFC. They need to make it happen. Get his ranking back. Get something going. Same with Yair Rodriguez, to be honest. Like, let's get fights going. You guys are so exciting. Please step in the octagon again, especially with this new wave of contenders. Oh. Let me say this, though. Here's here's my thought process about this whole thing. All right. My my madness is is exploding. I I am thinking Burgos would actually be a tougher fight for Zabit than Barbosa would. And before you guys get on my case about this, think about MMA math. It doesn't exist. It makes no sense. You how many triangles have happened in the UFC where a guy's beating another guy and then all that. I I just think matchup wise, Burgos is not I, I think he's a tougher matchup for Zabit's style than Barbosa is. And 
Zabit, here's my reasoning for that. Zabit wears guys down. He does that. He was able to do that. One of his closest and toughest fights, I'd say, was against Calvin Cater whenever they fought. It was very close. Um, and, and Zabit was, they were both kind of slowing towards the third, but Zabit was able to just push, put the pressure on Calvin Cater enough to get the victory. What he's able to do in that is his cardio is not even the best in Zabit, but what he's able to do with just his physical presence, he's 6'1", that's insane for 145. Uh, Max Holloway is a giant for 145, uh, thinking of 6'1", six, six but what he's able to do, his cardio is not even that insane because of the amount of, uh, of stuff he's able to put out, but he puts on the pressure in the fight, and that pressure wears down his opponents to where their cardio is is basically gone. Barbosa is a round one, round two, early round three fighter. He has great cardio for the amount of muscle and, and just power he throws. He's one of the hardest hitting guys. No one knocks out Shane Burgos. In fact, Shane Burgos doesn't even get knocked out. His body just quits on him sometimes. And that's what we saw against the Barbosa <laughs> fight. But but Barbosa just hits so hard and he finishes guys so hard. And whenever he's letting his hands go, he's such a nightmare. But when you have a guy that is a very strong boxer and will always be going forward a lot like Justin Gaethje, if he was 6-1, will put the pressure and wear down Barbosa. His cardio is not able to sustain the amount of stuff that he's throwing and the amount of power that he's throwing. And I think Zabit would be able to capitalize on that and wear him down a little bit, considering, of course, that Zabit would be, be able to withstand the onslaught of Barbosa, which is a big question considering how long Zabit's been out and Barbosa being Barbosa. So that, that is an interesting thing there. But if, if he is able to weather the storm, I think Zabit is a bad matchup for Barbosa. Then you look at Shane Burgos, on the other hand, who ate everything Barbosa threw at him, literally a spinning wheel kick. That is Barbosa's just, you're going to no die or do a off. chicken dance. You're going to die or do a Kevin Lee chicken dance. He ate it and kept walking forward. Shane Burgos does not stop walking forward. That's what he does. Um he will eat the biggest shots and throw the biggest shots. And he's a very good boxer as well. Throws decent leg kicks. I mean, his leg kicks are, of course, going to look terrible against Edson Barbosa. But against Zabit, they could do real damage. And the body shots and everything, think, everything he throws, Zabit has finishing power, but I don't think he would be able to finish um, uh, Burgos. You need to have Barbosa power to do that. I don't think Zabit has Barbosa power unless he lands like a flying knee or something. But I think Burgos would keep going forward and bring the pressure on. And Zabit, I, he, you know, you can't wear down a guy like Shane Burgos. He, it's just not humanly possible because he doesn't have any quit in him. His cardio will carry through and he will keep going forward. That's why I actually do believe Shane Burgos is a tougher matchup for Zabit. That being said, the fight I want to see is the Barbosa-Zabit fight, though, because, I mean, the amount of heat those guys would be throwing would be unlike anything we would have seen at 145. Just imagine everything. The way Barbosa is able to hide his kicks, Zabit will throw some crazy stuff, but it's not the most technical. Barbosa throws crazy stuff, and it's technical and thrown with intent. If Zabit's caught slacking for one moment, which is very possible considering that he has not had this big of a gap in his career ever, if he slips up just a little bit against Barbosa, it could be night-night really quick. And then, obviously, the pressure of Zabit on Barbosa, like I said, again, Zabit could easily win it. I'm getting excited. I hate myself for talking about this now because I want the fight now. Come on. Why are we doing this? Great fight. Great question. And um, I just got myself excited for no reason. Jack, I'm really I'm sorry to do no, this to you <laughs> because I'm very sad as well. But I've, <laughs> I, and for, for you and for Evandro, I have just thought of, in my MMA madness psyche, the greatest four-man tournament in featherweight history, 
Are you ready? I'm ready. In one corner of the ring, we've got Zabit Magomed Sharipov okay. facing Hurricane Shane Burgos. I like it. And on one side, we've got Edson Barbosa facing Yair Rodriguez. Oh, man. That Ladies and gentlemen. That would be wild. This is what I want as a main and a co-main on even a fight night. We need this to happen. This oh, there's no the way they would do that on a fight night, though. I mean, that, that could this, headline this a pay-per-view by itself. Material. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the four-man narrative of the featherweight division. These are the four horsemen of the featherweight division right now. Winners fight the winners, losers fight the losers, and we you know, see you gotta, who can... You got to go all out for it, too. If, if you're doing that, you got to do tournament style, two fights in one night, pride rules, everything. You got to yeah. just make it as insane as possible for those guys. Somehow Ngannou ends up in the <laughs> tournament. Ngannou. We don't know how. He's the alternate. <laughs> <laughs> He's the substitute if one of them gets oh injured. Oh, man. That would... See if they bring in like a tournament format. Featherweight would be so perfect for it because you've got Volkanovski, Ortega, Holloway, Cater. Now, can you imagine how good of an eight-man tournament that would be? Uh, uh, you could honestly, honestly, you could do a sixteen. You could seriously go and go ahead and do a round of sixteen quarterfinal. You could do a whole Champions League MMA off of the featherweight division and be entertained, entertained in every single round. I would be here for it. Oh, I, I if that if that whole card was like the first UFC and it's five hours long, I'm staying up all night for it. That would oh, be yeah. Oh, that would be mine. But we'd have to do a recorded special for that live stream. Oh, we would have we would absolutely have to do that. Yeah, like I'm sem- I'm semi dead at five a.m. But we're staying here for it because it's too good not to watch. Oh, we could do but, a, we could do like a March Madness thing, like our brackets and everything, and like see who see who would come out like oh. college basketball. But it's we gotta stop coming up with these ideas now. Now I want them. What are we doing man like ah oh, i'm gonna break on, in, UFC. i'm gonna break into the ufc's headquarters and ask dana for this make it happen <laughs> dana these are the fights we need to see because the narrative is there the people want it we want it we mma want island it. wants these fights so we need these fights um you know for, I, I can't believe such an amazing question sparked all of this, but I mean, that is, that would be the dream narrative. I mean, featherweight is so loaded right now. And could you imagine some of those fights that every single fight in that March madness bracket would be a fight of the year contender. Oh, absolutely. That is, that's how good we're talking here. Elite caliber quality. I mean, just, I, I'm going to have to take a drink. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But yeah, to answer Vondra's question, I actually like your argument. I like the idea of Burgos and Zabit just because I think Burgos's boxing is much crisper. But Edson Barbosa, Yair Rodriguez, that's, I want to see that happen. That is a kickboxing festival right Honestly, there. Edson Barbosa, anyone. Shane Burgos, anyone. Zabit, anyone. Yair, anyone. It's going to be a potential fight of the year. We, for, we forgot about the Korean zombies still there, too. We forgot about, like, everyone in 145 is exciting. Calvin Cater, Holloway, Ortega, Volkanovski. Not one fighter that won't deliver a potential fight of the year. That is insane. How did I forget about Chan Zung Young? Oh my god! You could argue that's the division full of the most exciting fighters. Now, obviously, you'd have to put that against 155. But I mean, just how good is the UFC right now? How good is Uh, MMA right now? What a time to be a fan! Oh, this is what a time. I am so happy right now. (laughs) This is the (laughs) best time to be watching the UFC because every division is well. 
with the exception of maybe middleweight and light heavyweight, every division is loaded with talent. One to ten are all elite fighters. There's no hangers on anymore. You are every night you are in the octagon, you're fighting for your spot. You are clawing your way to the top. I love it. I love it so much. We need pride tournaments here. This <laughs> this is the only way to sort this out. What I'd love to do is, you know, when, you know the way with a lot of divisions, us and the fans have a lot of discrepancies as to who should be in what ranking. Just abolish, liquidate the rankings of featherweight, and we'll sort it out with the tournament. Fight it out. That's what it's about. Fight it out. Don't discuss the rankings. Let's see who wins. Let's see who really Mortal is Mortal Kombat-style tournament fighting. This is what we want, ladies and gentlemen. No time limits. No rules. Well, maybe some rules. We gotta have some rules. Yeah. No t- <laughs> like 25-minute rounds. Let's Let's let it happen. I want this. And then the last man standing is the featherweight champion. Man, I don't even know how we got to this point off of this question, but thank but you. I'm anyways. so happy we did. This is what we do. This is what we do. Phenomenal podcast. Thank oh. you, everyone, so much for listening. Please make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere. Everywhere. iTunes and Spotify. He said it. You have to listen to it. Um, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA Island and check out all of our work. Keelan just released a new article on their MMA Island.net. Check it out. Again, thank you everyone so much for listening. A really, really, really good podcast today. Oh, the amazing podcast. Thanks, Jack. And look for Featherweight, everybody. We need this to happen. Yes, Petition, we do. Let's get it going. <laughs>